in the world of freedom. Mr. Gorbachev, open this gate. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Ich bin ein Berliner. This is Radio Goethe Magazine with Arndt Peltner. News and information from the heart of Europe. Hello and welcome to Radio Goethe Magazine. I'm Arndt Pelton. In today's program we will talk about the German Green Party in the United States and our reporter Nina Paula visited the Rundfunkmuseum, the Radio Museum in Fürth. So stay tuned. But first, the news. Radio Goethe Magazine. The News with Nina Paula. Berlin. Discounter Lidl is not the only business to spy on its employees, it seems. According to the latest reports from the news magazine Stern that broke the story about Lidl, it's happening at companies all over Germany. According to the magazine, invasive employee monitoring is a common practice at other retailers, including Penny, Norma, Edeka Plus, Rewe, Hagebau and Familia. The magazine said that nationwide detective agencies have sprung up with specializing in helping employees spy on their stuff, including detailed written observation reports. The manager of a supermarket discounter is cited by saying that spying efforts were intensified when there was suspicion that certain employees were attempting to organize a union. Mainz. German judo athlete Yvonne Bönisch announced her boycott of the opening ceremony of the Beijing Olympics. I want to send a signal, the 27-year-old woman told German public broadcaster ZDF. She also ruled out that participating in the Olympics is every athlete's biggest wish. A boycott now would shatter thousands of athletes' dreams. Instead, during the Games, Bönisch plans to wear a wristband symbolizing her disdain of China's crackdown in Tibet. But Henri Sirandour, president of the French National Olympics Committee, said that athletes participating in the Olympics are not permitted to wear additional tags or badges on their uniforms. Chemnitz. Conventional biofuels like rapeseed oil and ethanol are ecologically problematic and threaten food supplies. Now a German company in Saxony says it has the solution. An advanced fuel made from wood and other non-food biomass. The tiny refinery in the eastern German town of Freiberg has already attracted a number of highly prominent visitors, including the leading researchers of Mercedes and Volkswagen. The plant in Freiberg uses non-food biomass instead of traditional crops and is the first of its kind to cross the threshold from theoretical research into industrial production. Bayreuth. The eternal discussion about the direction of the annual Bayreuth Opera Festival seems over. The 88-year-old grandson of composer Richard Wagner, Wolfgang Wagner, is ready to retire and it looks like that his feuding daughters will co-direct the legendary event. Previously, he had categorically rejected appointing Eva Wagner Pasquier, but she became closer with her half-sister Katharina and now a lot has changed. The Bayreuth Festival was founded in 1876 by Richard Wagner. It has become an opera spectacle of legendary proportions and the performances are sold out years in advance. Oslo. 
German Chancellor Angela Merkel has caused headlines around the world with an evening dress. She wore the dark dress with its very plunging neckline at the opening of the Oslo Opera House. The British Daymail, for example, ran the title Merkel's Weapons of Mass Distraction and showed a photo of the Chancellor. The media attention comes as part of a trend in focusing on Merkel's appearance. For example, unflattering photos of the Chancellor wearing a peach-colored dress with sweat stains under her arms at the 2005 Bayreuth Festival were widely circulated. Now Anna von Griesham, who designed the dress for Merkel's appearance in Oslo, said that Merkel's style was power suit by day, princess by night. The Green Party in Germany has been one of the driving forces in the international environmental movement, reaching out to organizations and projects abroad. And now the Greens take another step. Last weekend they have founded an Ortsverein, a local Green Party chapter in Washington DC. On the phone with me, founding member Arne Jung-Johann of the Heinrich Böll Stiftung that is a political foundation close to the Greens. Anna, is the Green Party in Germany in trouble that you have to find new members over here? We've discovered that there's quite many Germans in Washington DC actually and, and a lot of them are very close to, to green values as we found. So we thought it would be an ideal place to, to find a, a chapter of the German Green Party over here in Washington. Is this just a gimmick to get some headlines? What kind of influence would you have in the party in Germany? There's a high interest of people that are here in Washington in in German and in green politics. So for one, we want to offer a platform for those who are here who want to follow German um, politics. On the other hand, um, we also think that we can bring an interesting perspective into the green debate in Germany. Well, we think we um, the people that are, that are here uh, doing this with us, they all work in that, uh, international organizations, at foundations, in science or in, in cultural areas. And we think uh, from, from leaving Germany for some years, We gain an international perspective uh, on, on life, on, on culture, on, on, on political ideas. And we think that's a, that's a worthwhile input that we could uh, transfer back uh, into Germany and to the, to the German debate inside the Green Party. So we think uh, we can make a difference uh, on some, some topics like international politics, globalization, like Germany's role in the world, or issues like anti-Americanism in the, in the German Green Party. How will you take part in the Green Party organization? Well, there's a, there's a way of informal participation in the sense of that we engage in debates, that, that we write articles, or that we interact with, with Germans that are coming here from the party, or that we go over there. Um, and there's a formal way also, uh, as an Ortsverein, we can actually um, submit proposals to, to party meetings, and they have, to do, they have to deal with that, they have to put votes on that. So there's both ways of, of informal and formal um, activities that we can use to influence the debate. How did people in the party react when you came up with this idea? We are not the very first one with that idea. Um, there is a, there's another uh, Green Party chapter uh, outside of Germany which is located in Brussels. The, the background to that is that there's the European Parliament, the European Parliament and there's a lot of uh, German staffers that work there for parliamentarians and they, they formed the first outside chapter um, in, in Brussels. Um, so the feedback we got from from the German Green Party is so far only positive. They are congratulating that we do this, that we build a new transatlantic bridge uh, of the Green Movement, and they are looking forward to work together with us. Are the Greens the only German party that has chapters abroad? 
Uh, we did some research on this, and we have found that, uh, at least in the United States, as, as far as we know, there's no other German party located. Um, there are other parties outside of Germany in Europe, and we heard there's one small Ortsverein of the SPD in South Africa. Why did you choose Washington, D.C., and are there any plans to expand to other regions in the U.S. and Canada? Well, as I said, we, we try to make an offer for Germans that are here, and we found that there, because Washington, D.C. is a very international town, all these international institutions are here, there's quite so many Germans uh, here, and they're very politically, most of them. So it's a, it's a good place to, to launch something like this. Um, uh, it's, it's an offer for the, for the region, I would say. Um, but we notice also that we get contacts from Germans that are living across the country and that, that have heard about this possibility, and there's an interest of them to, to join in one way or the other way. Um, but that's right now that is future music for us, as I would say it. Um, we, what we are trying to do is to establish this chapter over here um, to get the institutional framework going. Uh, and what will happen then in the next few years, we have to see if there's a bigger interest for this. We might grow, that is possible, but right now we are focusing on, on, on building a regional group and to establish an, an American-German connection on this. I am talking to Arne Jung-Johann of the Heinrich Böll Stiftung, who is also a founding member of the new local party chapter of the German Green Party in Washington, D.C. Arne, what kind of topics are you dealing with? Is it more a platform for Germans to discuss issues in German politics, or are you trying to offer a forum for Germans talking about the experiences and views over here? Um, we try to focus on topics that are actually on, on both sides of the Atlantic current. Um, we, we try to, well, we, we will follow the debates in Germany. It's right now a very interesting time over there with the shifting of the, of the party um, platforms in general with new coalition talks. So that's, that's very interesting for us, and we hope that we can attract some, some German Greens that are traveling through the United States Uh, that we can attract them to our meetings and we have discussions with them on that. On the other hand, um, as I said before, we want to, to influence the, the green debate on, on very certain issues. We don't want to talk, for example, on, on German tax policy because we have no particular knowledge uh, from our side to add on this. But when the, the German Greens talk about globalization, how to, how to deal uh, with, with activities on globalization, how to fight for a more fair world, Uh, I think we have a, a, a very certain perspective that we want to bring into the German debate. The Greens in Germany have two major fractions, a more left-leaning and a more liberal part. Which one does the DC chapter belong to? It's a very interesting question and it is very early to, to answer. There's uh, right now eight members of this Ortsverein here in Washington, D.C. And um, more than half of them have not been with a party before. So and they are not really located in in the realo side or on the left side. Um, I, my impression would be, though, from, from the topics how we discussed this, the Ortsverein in Washington is more on the realo side within the Green Party. But it, it really depends on, on the engagement of the individual members here, and it will also depend on the new members that we will get in the future. Next year is the federal election in Germany. Can people now expect some campaigning over here as well? We are questioning ourselves what actually can we do in, in concern of the, of the Bundestagswahl that will be taking place in September 2009. And we have done some research um, and we found out that there's quite many Germanies and German immigrants coming to the United States every year, approximately 13,000. And there's permanently approximately 20,000 um, Germans working at university and, and research institutions. 
Uh, and we are thinking about addressing the, the issue of a Bundestagswahl to this audience. We are trying to connect to the audience because we believe, for one, it's important that Germans abroad engage in, in politics at home, that they make use of their right to vote. Uh, and for the second, we think it's, that is a community that is close to green values, that is uh, international, has an academic background. So we, we would think that the Green Party would profit from this work as well. The Greens are very much based in the protest movement in Germany and there many are highly critical about the international role that the US is taking. Are you also trying to change that opinion? Yeah, uh, I, I feel that this, the, the issue of anti-Americanism is every once in a while popping up in the, in the German-Green debate. It's not, it's not particular, the, the, um, I would say it's not limited to the Green Party, but I would say It is a common feature in the German left, in the political sense, that there's somewhat a, a latent uh, anti-Americanism um, that pops up at, uh, at meetings when there's international debates. For example, take the last Green Party meeting uh, in, in November last year, I think it was, when the Greens were talking about their foreign policy uh, uh, and the, the, the issue of the German army in Afghanistan. Um, We think that uh, anti-Americanism begins where the U.S. is reduced on the Bush administration. If you reduce this country, this is so, so big and so diverse, um, only to, to its foreign policy and to the, to the current government, you make a big mistake. There's so many um, good developments in this country that are worthwhile to notice and that you can actually learn a lot from, that, that Germany can learn a lot from. And that's a point where we want to engage. Are you going to reach out to the Greens in the U.S. as well, maybe forming a coalition? Oh, we are in contact with them already. Um, they noticed, they've heard about our founding and they've contacted us and it's working uh, quite well so far. We look forward to that cooperation. However, we sense ourselves as, as part of the, of the German Green Party. So we think there will be some cooperation for sure, um, but there, we don't plan any, any merge or Or something like that. So what are the goals for your Ortsverein, your chapter in the near future? Yeah, the, the first goal is to, to solidate. We want to, um, we want to establish a regular German Green Party chapter here. That is just some, some plain technical work like finding a place to meet, getting finances done, building up a homepage, um, making yourself known to, to people that actually could, uh, could join here. So that's a very big thing to do within the first year, I would say. Um, a second goal that we have is to establish um, a, a better status in, in judicial form. Uh, under the German party law, it is so far only possible to be what we call an Ortsverein, so a smaller unit within the party. However, we aim for a change uh, in, this, in the status of the Green Party on the next uh, National Green Party meeting in November in this year, um, so we could become a Kreisverband that's, uh, in terms of hierarchy, um, a, a safer infrastructure, a, a, a better, better. how do you say that? It, it's a Kreisverband, so you have more, more rights uh, to work inside the party. And the third goal, as I mentioned before, would be a target, targeting the, the Bundestagswahl, the German elections in 2009, and what role we can play here for the Germans that are living in the United States. <laughs> Grammar on a mill, 
Baustor, Muster Hornblein, Gansalor, Horan Steu, Feuglone Kinder, an Psuffen Mo und Korbraut. Dies ist der Arnemil, ihr Not. the nicest museums of broadcasting can be found in Fürth, the city right next to Nuremberg. And that for a reason. Grundig, the pioneering radio producer, had its headquarters here. Nina Paula visited the museum and went on a historical sound tour in this beautiful building. Karin Falkenberg. I am the assistant director of the Radio of Broadcast in Fürth, Radio of Broadcast Rundfunkmuseum in German. Um, we are showing the complete history of broadcast in Germany as well as in Europe. The museum has 12 very big rooms to show all the techniques from the start of broadcasting in the 1920s. The first room is the cafeteria, an historical place. Here Max Grundig used to sit. Max Grundig was a great German industrialist who was the first one to produce radios and TVs after the Second World War in a huge amount. He started out with um, little radios, tiny radios um, called Heinzelmann and he sold them after World War II when it still was prohibited to sell radios. He left out the tubes. He sold the complete radio but left out the tubes and um, the customers had to go to the black market or had to go to a radio shop and buy tubes extra on an extra uh, bill and then they just had to put in the tubes and the radio was functioning. But it was a trick of Max Grundig to be allowed to produce radios. North, the North American military prohibited it and um, they had good reasons for doing so because um, they feared resistant movements of national socialists, of course. The cafeteria has its own charm. It really looks like an American diner in the 50s. The purpose was to show the American culture in, in the 1950s. Germany very much was influenced by the American culture in the 1950s. Um, the Germans have lost the Second World War and um, afterwards a lot of American soldiers occupied Germany and um, they brought with them their culture. They brought with them American cigarettes, American chocolate and American music. And um, in Germany it had been prohibited and forbidden to listen to jazz and swing music during um, the National Socialist era. And especially young people loved this kind of music. So when the war was over, the first thing they did was listening to American music. And um, a great attraction were the music boxes, and we have a lot of music boxes from the 1950s and the 1960s spread all over the museum, and they are filled with American music of this era. 
The museum owns 13 music boxes. 11 of them are running. The discs are completely original and of course sometimes sound as old as they are. We're standing in front of a Roccola music box here. It is an American music box produced in, in Chicago and um, it was transported to Germany after World War II. At first um, American officers used to have these boxes in their clubs and they brought with them their music. It is a shellac disc music box. So you have shellac discs inside and as soon as you press a button um, the shellac disc comes out and um, raises to be played. And um, of course in Germany it was a great attraction because the music boxes are very colorful, um, they have warm and intensive colors and of course they play great music and after World War II everybody was thrilled by this kind of music, by jazz and swing music that had been prohibited to listen to during the National Socialist era. But this music at this moment sounds a little bit like cat music. <laughs> it does. It is uh, Benny Goodman. Yes. Benny Goodman. Well, he <laughs> is it because this box is so old or is the music... Uh... No, it, the music box is so old. It is always under reconstruction because um, it is now... Well, it was constructed in 1946, so it is very, very old now. And it has pressed several thousand times and um, you cannot get um, you cannot get material to repair it very easily you have to rebuild the material first and put it in again we have one specialist who does that and he sits in front of these boxes for hours and hours every week still they sound a little bit strange but <laughs> it sounds funny yeah but that's the special touch of this museum <laughs> not everything not every um, object is perfect here at least it functions. There are very many museums who just put in their music boxes and they don't put them on and they are not living then. They are not colorful, they don't play music, they are like a dead object. And here it's a living object, it's old and it's ill, but it functions. In the next room one can see the first radio set ever, the so-called component set, which looks a bit like an insect. These old radio receivers from the 1920s do look like insects. They have the tubes on the outside, they have all the electric components on the outside, so they don't look elegant at all. Um, women in 1923, 1924 always said, uh, put this into your basement and play in the basement with this stuff, but not in my living room. And it was one of the problems of industry, because industry the industry wanted to sell radios, but they didn't look elegant. So it took a few years until um, the designers got the ideas to put everything into a box. And the boxes then, they were very, very elegant. Within the 1920s, radios still were very, very expensive. They cost about 300, 400 Reichsmark then, and a worker owned about one mark and 50, 50 pfennigs at that time. So it was impossible at all to ever be able to buy an own radio. In the 1920s, the worker groups already 
demanded a cheap radio because they said we will never be able to afford an own radio, so please, industry and big companies, produce a cheap radio for the working group, for the working class. However, the companies hardly ever did that. But the National Socialist Party then uh, said that's a great idea, we, we do it. It was not a human idea, however, it was an idea to spread their political ideas. They did it with the Volksempfänger, a simple brown box at a price everybody could pay. Rudolf has radio speech in 1934. The Volksempfängers were produced in thousands and thousands and thousands and uh, they were spread all over Germany. And the idea was, of course, that um, everybody could listen to Adolf Hitler, no matter where he lived. Möge der allmächtige Gott unsere Arbeit in seine Gnade nehmen, unseren Willen recht gestalten, unsere Einzige segnen und uns mit dem Vertrauen unseres Volkes beglücken. Denn wir wollen nicht kämpfen für uns, sondern für Deutschland. We are here in an air raid shelter in um, 1943 and 44 and 45. Air raids increased rapidly and um, the German people were, were hiding and um, the situation was almost as dangerous as being on a frontier line. And this is one of the shelters. There's a wooden bench, a wooden bed, People always brought their cushions with them and and placed the little children on these cushions. There even is a, a toilet. It was all very, very close next to each other. You can imagine when you were sitting here on this bed or sleeping on this bed and everybody, the whole neighborhood was crash, crushed into one room during the air raid. Everything was very, very close. You listened to every um, sound the neighbor was making and, of course, people were frightened and a glance of, of this atmosphere you can realize in this museum, in this room. Achtung, Achtung! Hier ist der Befehlstand der ersten Flakdivision Berlin. Die gemeldeten Bomberverbände befinden sich im Raum Hannover-Braunschweig. One floor up, one finds the booming 50s. Here the visitor can sit in an original living room and go back to his past. Or if he is younger, he can dream of the time his parents experienced. See you later, alligator. It was a time when Germans got wealthier and wealthier. That was the time when the production of media increased rapidly in Germany. Well, I saw my baby walking. At first, the industry and the radio companies produced radios, of course, but soon they started out with a whole furniture and built into this furniture there was a TV and a radio and a disc player. See you later, In Germany in the 1950s, it was common to uh, to offer a glass of of Asbach Uralt to the visitors, or and to offer a cigarette to the visitors. It was um, not political incorrect then in that time, 
And um, in our in our living room of the 1950s, we have a great furniture. And uh, in the middle, there's the TV set. And on the left side, we have the little um, schnapps glasses. And on the right side, you have a little bit of alcoholic beverages. It's, of course, empty. We don't, we don't offer that in the museum. But you can see how it was used, how it used to be in the 1950s. Walking on through the museum in another room, one important part of the history of the former GDR is shown. Also there, radio was a very essential medium. The GDR did produce a great amount of radios so that it was possible to listen to GDR senders and... Um, Well, there were some districts in the former GDR where it was easily possible to receive West German senders, of course, but the GDR government tried to prohibit that GDR people were listening to West German senders. So the situation was comparable to how it was some years ago within the National Socialist era. <laughs> an der Westgrenze der sozialistischen Länder in Europa als Wellenbrecher gegen Neonazismus und Chauvinismus bewährt. However, in the GDR, West German senders were very, very popular and radio senders were popular and also American senders were very, very popular. For example, RIAS Berlin, Rundfunk im amerikanischen Sektor, that is the abbreviation for RIAS, R-E-A-S. And when you were going to the former GDR in the, 1980, in the end of the 1980s and were asking the people, what did you listen to, what was your favorite sender, they said, oh, the American RIAS, it was the American RIAS, I love to listen to that. Our journey through the Radio Museum of Fürth ends at the most modern music box there. Here we find music from the 60s and 70s. One of my favorites is indeed the singing soccer star Franz Beckenbauer. In 1966 he sang the song Gute Freunde kann niemand trennen, which means nobody can tear apart good friends. There was today's Radio Goethe magazine. Please find us online at radiogoethe.org. The free podcast is also available through iTunes. Thanks for listening. I'm Arndt Peltner. Sie eines im Leben können, für ein